pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness. We do pray, Lord, for Bill and for Pete, and uh, Lord, that you would bring healing and comfort and encouragement. And Lord, we do know that, and we acknowledge that we're all frail, we're mortal, uh, we're so limited in so many ways, but you are not. And sometimes you bring healing in ways that, um, that we don't anticipate or, or just whatever, but Lord, we know that you are, you are good and you are our good shepherd. And so Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we take tremendous comfort in that. And so we just pray that uh, you would do a work in our hearts, in our lives today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, if you would, to Ezekiel 34. Uh, I'm going to, uh, disclaimer at the outset that, um, for whatever reason, uh, and I don't overly, I try not to overly analyze spiritual warfare, um, but I feel like there's been a, there's been a bit of a battle. Uh, over getting ready to teach this lesson today. And so, I don't know what that means. Um, it doesn't mean like, there's a couple conclusions you could draw from that, right? One, oh, this can be awesome, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> two, oh, but he might fall apart in the middle of it. Uh, so, two, not one, right? So, if it's two, then you've been warned. Um, but... Um, this is heavy on my heart. So, last week we read about in chapter 33, Ezekiel was called to be a watchman of the nation of Judah. And if you were here last week, you recall, you know, the idea was, the, the image, the metaphor was that uh, the watchman would stand up on a tower, basically, and watch for danger and warn the people, right? And so I have this image, like I always see in my mind, the people are here, and I'm up on this tower, and when the watchman, if he saw danger coming, if he failed to warn the people, then the people still... Uh, were dealt a consequence, and spiritually speaking, uh, the, as the metaphor plays out, people are still responsible for their own sin, right? And they're accountable for their own sin, and they face consequence for their own sin. But there's also another layer to that. It's not like I'm responsible for somebody else's salvation or anything like that, nothing weird like that. But there is a layer that I'm responsible for what I'm responsible for. Does that make sense? I'm accountable for what I'm told by God to do. Okay? That's what it means to be a watchman. And I uh, hope you've gotten the memo by now that as Christians, we're all called to be ministers. Okay? And we're all to be thinking of ourselves in that way. And... That way we don't really 
compartmentalize our brains or our minds or what we do in life and we don't have to worry about whether or not this is called ministry and this is called secular because if I'm a Christian everything I do is ministry and in reality the secular part just means that I get paid from somewhere else I mean really that's just the bottom line it's where the money comes from right and uh, that's a whole other story um, you know, I told I was telling somebody this week. Uh, you know, when you talk about ministry stuff and church stuff and parachurch organization stuff and all that, money just makes it all weird, doesn't it? Right? How how much weirdness would go would go away if the money discussion went away? Right. So anyway, this, in my mind, the secular part just means I get paid by them and. You know, I don't have to get paid somewhere else if I get paid already by them, right? That's just, that's the only difference. But anyway, it's all ministry, right? And it's all watchman-type ministry. Is that fair? Well, today, chapter 34, it's also all shepherding-type ministry. Okay, fair enough? And so, we're called to be, if we're called to be ministers, we're called, by definition then, to be watchmen, but we're also called to be shepherds fair enough and we're supposed to be good shepherds right are we supposed to be jesus no because he said i am the good shepherd right so as it relates to us as shepherds we just look to that example right we don't we don't we don't presume or have any delusion that we are the good shepherd right and i say that because as a pastor sometimes i can um, it's a little subtle, but sometimes as a pastor, if I'm not careful, I can find myself drawing the sheep. We'll call you sheep. Everybody bow once for me. See? I could, if I'm not careful, I could draw you to me because I'm the shepherd, right? That is so off the charts wrong that I'm not even going to go there, okay? We all know that that's off the charts wrong. But... So I'm not the good shepherd, but I am a shepherd. I'm a shepherd at home, right? I'm a shepherd over a, a, a certain, in a certain way at home. I'm a shepherd in a certain way here. I'm a shepherd in a certain way at my secular ministry. I'm a shepherd wherever I might be talking to somebody or have any kind of, of, of um, opportunity to encourage somebody. Fair enough? Now, am I the only one in the room? No. Who is exempt? No one. Well, non-believers, okay? If you're sitting here because you got drug here and you said, mm, not for me, then yeah, okay, I guess you're exempt, right? But you came to church and you're not exempt. Fair enough? Now, you say, how does this ministry thing work in terms of shepherding? I love, to me, you know, we just went to a pastor's conference um, where you learn about stuff like this, okay? Now, the best pastor's conference that's ever been delivered in all of human history, do you like when I set you up for like some kind of absolute? The best pastor's conference that's ever been described in all of human history is written in John chapter 21. Peter 
having denied Jesus three times, denied that he even knew who Jesus was, is despondent, is going back to his old life of fishing, doesn't probably see himself as a full-time minister, and needs to be encouraged. So who shows up? Jesus. Jesus feeds him breakfast. And then when he said, verse 15, when, he, when, they'd eaten breakfast, when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Oh, yes. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, build a big ministry. He said that? No. He said to him, the first thing you got to do is get a board. Did he say that? No. Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The most conclusive pastor's conference ever delivered was by the mouth of Jesus that said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Now let me ask you today, is ministry complicated? No. Only to the extent that we make it complicated. And therein lies the problem. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. So as we, as we get our brains ready for Ezekiel chapter 34, if you're so inclined, turn over again to Second Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 5. after Hebrews and James. 1 Peter chapter 5. Starting in verse 2. Peter says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Simple as that. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, being examples to the flock. Back to Ezekiel, chapter 34. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Pretty straightforward, right? Woe to the shepherds that feed themselves. Now, as we read through this chapter, we're going to read three, if you will, if you're taking notes, three crimes against the shepherds of Israel. 
three crimes that the Lord convicts, uh, uh, accuses these, these, uh, these bad shepherds. Number one, they were self-indulgent. Number two, they were neglectful to their duties to protect and nurture the flock. And number three, they were cruel. Now, as this relates to shepherding today, it's interesting that these three aspects are all warned against in, for, in that first Peter verse I just read. So, they're self-indulgent, right? Peter says, uh, not for dishonest gain. Shepherd the flock among you, not for dishonest gain. Number two, they were neglectful of their duties to protect and nurture the flock. Peter says, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. Being examples to the flock. Serve as overseers. Don't take as overseers, but serve as overseers, Peter said. And, and finally, as they were, they were cruel, Peter said, shepherd the flock which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not by compulsion. Compulsion is cruel as it's carried out in this example. And so, we see this example as we, as we see it played out, and as we see it, we're going to read through some of the details, but I'm trying to lay the groundwork. And the reality is, there are shepherds throughout history. There are shepherds today. There are shepherds uh, in the time of, of the nation of Judah, uh, here during the time of, of the, uh, when part of them were carried off to Babylon. There were shepherds that were supposed to be shepherding, but they were taking that position to serve themselves. We have to be very, and I'm not talking about shepherd, and I always have to say this, because whenever we shepherd anybody, or whenever we have <clears throat> any exposure to shepherds that are maybe shepherding us in any way, please don't expect them or me to be flawless, Okay? I'll just, that's just my disclaimer. Please don't expect any shepherd, including yourself, to be flawless. What I'm talking about is lifestyle patterns of, of, of self-indulgent behavior. Does that make sense? For example, we said self-indulgence, we said neglect, and we said cruelty. You know, a shepherd oftentimes is in a position of authority over others. Is that fair? So you might have a shepherd at, at work. You'd call that person your boss. That, po that person's role is to make you the best employee that you can be for the good of the overall team, right? That's how your boss should shepherd you. But your boss, as a figure of authority, and probably it's fair to say we've all either directly or indirectly experienced one of these bosses. You ever experienced one of these bosses? Anybody? <clears throat> yeah. Um, nobody in my office ever has. Uh, but anyway, they can use that authority to really be just downright cruel. Right? And God sees that. God sees that. So, in terms of, he says here, as he starts out, he says, Woe to these guys who feed themselves. 
Should the shepherds not feed the flocks? Now I'm going to get into some awkward transparency now for a moment. Can I do that? I'm going to get into some awkward transparency for a moment now. Can I do that? Okay, good. The shepherd, now we're, let's say, let's say a, a church, okay, or a parachurch organization or whatever like that. The person that's the shepherd, is it okay for that person to get some provision from that? Is it okay for the pastor to get paid by the church? Is that fair? Okay. Is that, we might even call that normal. Is that fair? How much should the, should the pastor get paid? Like, not so much that he's, like, starving and getting a third job, not, not, or not so little that he's starving and getting a third job, not so much that he's, like, you look at his cars and his boats and his toys and you think, I think we're paying that guy too much. Anybody ever been in a church? I don't even... Wow, you can get really... This is a slippery slope, right? <laughs> but I've been in churches, not in this town, uh, where I... Like, I'll hear people say, Pastor's got a new car. I think we're paying him too much. Right? Really? Does money make things weird? Money makes things weird, right? So Paul, let me just say this, bring it back to the Scripture. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 14, that it's okay for a pastor or a shepherd of any kind to receive uh, provision from the flock that he's shepherding. Fair enough? 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 and 18 says, The labor is worthy, laborer is worthy of his wages, speaking of a pastor. So it's okay for a pastor to be supported. Okay? Not really rocket science. We'd call that normal. Here's what we call abnormal. Paul, in his example to the Corinthians, chapter 9, says, it's okay for me and Barnabas to be paid by you guys, but I'm going to decline that privilege because I'd rather get it from somewhere else, and I think it might make things weird with my relationship with you Corinthians. That was basically Paul's take on getting provision. Honestly, this is part of why I love tent-making ministry. This is partly why I would like to see, I, I, honestly, I think more folks should take Paul's example. I would love to see more churches in America that are shepherded by a person who takes Paul's example. That's just, that's just flat-out honest. Because when the pastor doesn't have to look to the people in the chairs, then all of a sudden he's not saying, oh, oh, that rich dude's not here today. Does that happen in churches? Way too often. Oh, I happen to know that that rich dude downright nasty to his wife. So I can't really preach about rich dudes being nasty to their wives. Well, guess what? If you come across a, a scripture 
If you're reading verse by verse, Genesis to Revelation, and you happen to hit one that says, rich dudes, don't be nasty to your wife. You ought to read it, right? And so there's this thing that we can take provision, but maybe we should look to uh, Paul's example. That's a, just a personal soapbox. But the reality is, these guys are going way beyond that. These guys are serving themselves. Verse 3. You eat the fat and clothe, yourself with, clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. And so the metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep is particularly telling now in this case. We're talking about ministry. We're talking about these, these overseers that should be overseeing the children of Israel. But reality is, they're eating fat and clothing. They're fleecing the sheep. They should be serving the sheep, but they're fleecing the sheep so they can have their own wool. And they're even killing the young, vulnerable sheep so they can eat the meat, right? That is self-serving. So when the support seems excessive to the point of slaughtering fatlings, then we've got a problem. And so, whatever our ministry is, and I say this, not, this is not just for pastors, this is for all of us. Whatever our ministry is, and we are all ministers, whatever our ministry is, it should be a ministry of serving that person or those people. We should be serving them. Now, we have to, you know, live and breathe ourselves and have some provision and all that, that's fine but we need to be serving people. I remember years ago, first time I ever went to a, a pastor's conference when Chuck Smith was alive uh, out in California. He would, have these, he would have these conferences and uh, he would invite pastors from all, uh, Calvary Chapel pastors from all over the country. They'd, they'd come to California and it was a, it was a big wing ding. And so Chuck was a shepherd of shepherds in a sense. Okay, and um, and so conference was always at this Bible college in in Southern California, and I hope this doesn't sound critical. Okay, but have you ever eaten like cafeteria food at a conference? Is that fair? You think, really? It was on sale right? A pastor's conference put on by Chuck Smith was a gourmet feast for a week. Why? Because Chuck had a deep conviction about that. Now, does that seem like a little thing? It is kind of a little thing, but Chuck was passionate about it. And so, you got pastors from all over the country, go to California to suffer for the Lord, learn a little bit, listen to some teaching, they all come back 10 pounds heavier, right? But they had a good week. There's another thing. Whenever you go to a meal, I'll never forget this. You go sit at your table. You know, that all the, you know everybody can go sit wherever. At every single meal, there was a book at your table. Chuck loved to pass out books. I love to pass out books. That example comes from Chuck Smith. 
the guys, it's funny, I remember the first time I went there, I wasn't prepared. The guys that had been there before, they, they took on their, they, they checked an empty bag, empty suitcase going out there because they knew it was going to come back full of books that Chuck gave them. Whatever our ministry is, it needs to be a ministry of service to others. It needs to be others-focused. And so when the support, if you will, comes to the point of slaughtering fatlings, we can call that excessive. Verse 4, The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. So, I said there are three crimes that are, that, are, that are pronounced against these shepherds. Number one, they were self-indulgent. We talked about that. Number two, I said they were neglectful of their duties to protect and nurture the flock. So this is that second one. Neglect. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. Can I tell you this? You don't have to look too far to find broken people. You don't have to look too far in this world to find broken people. You don't have to look too far in this world to find injured people. You don't have to look too far in this world to find hungry people. You don't have to look too far in this world to find people that just seem like they've been scattered a little bit, like they're like they lack a body of, to gather with, like they lack a home, like they lack uh, fellowship. You don't have to look too far to that. And you don't have to have a seminary degree to say, hey, can I pray for you? And shame on us. I don't have a seminary degree, but if I did, I'd say shame on us who act like and who maybe subtly or not so subtly act like I'm the one that's able to say, hey, how can I pray for you? Because we should all be able to say that. And it's not too hard to find those people if we look for them, if our eyes are open to them. Some sheep are weak. They should be strengthened. What's some of the best means, simple means for strengthening? Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Good food. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you want to be a shepherd, you've got to know the word. Oh, you can dish out psychology all you want. You can dish out your opinion. You can dish out what grandma said. You can dish out what Dave Ramsey says. You can dish out what your favorite politician says. But you really need to know the word. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. You really need to know the word. Some sheep are weak. They need to be strengthened. The best strengthening comes from food. Some sheep are sick. The illness needs to be treated and healed. Maybe that's the tend my sheep part. Some sheep are broken. This life causes brokenness. 
This life causes brokenness. The weak you've not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken. Now, interestingly, bound up the broken. That sounds like a broken... Will you indulge me for a minute? That sounds like a broken leg. Is that fair? You bound up the broken, right? Now, I won't embarrass anybody with a broken leg, right? I won't even have them hobble up here and demonstrate the, the binding up part. But think about this now. If you've got a broken leg, short of, short of surgery, let's say you don't need surgery for the, for the broken leg. But have you ever noticed that basically what you do, what, what, a, what, what a doctor might do is sort of straighten it, put it in a cast, and then let what? Let it heal. Who does that healing? God does. Your body does. Right? And so, you know, sometimes we feel like, I think sometimes when it terms, in terms of binding up the broken, we feel this, oh, I can't do that. Like, I'm not a doctor. Right? Well, put a straight stick next to the leg and put some tape around it. Right? And then let God heal it. Do whatever is in your means and let God heal it. But know that God will. But, how does, but that won't happen if we don't like, find those people. How can I help? What can I do? I happen to notice your leg looks crooked and you're limping a lot. I don't want to speak out of turn, but is there a way I can encourage you or help you in that? Right? It's not my job to fix you, but sometimes I might be called upon by God to just support you. Right? It's a big difference between supporting and fixing. God fixes, but He calls us sometimes as shepherds to support. And then finally, some sheep are scattered or lost. I'm a little burdened by this one. Particularly if you think about our modern-day context of you know, some of these shepherds, there's a lot of times when uh, sheep are just scattered. For whatever reason, they're just, they're just scattered. And if we are aware of that, maybe we need to seek them out. He says, verse 6, My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. So God here says, you know, my sheep were basically scattering, and no one uh, noticed this. I'm sorry, I skipped a... I skipped the end of verse 4. Let's go back. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So the weak you've not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So this again is the abuse of authority, right? This is the third crime, cruelty. How we minister matters. What we say matters. How we say it matters. Sometimes the message can be right. Please catch this. Because we're all a little insensitive, opinionated, jumpy shepherds. Fair enough? You might say, you might have just the right word to say. You might have biblical wisdom that is like straight from the mouth of God. 
but how you say it, if you're not careful, can completely negate the message. How you say it can completely negate the message. He says, with force and cruelty you have ruled them. Don't let that be said of us. We need to know how to speak the truth in love. We need to know how to speak the truth in love. And so, how we minister matters, especially if we're in a position of authority. Remember, Peter said, not as being lords over those entrusted to us. Okay, so, chapter, so verse, verse 5. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. What happens to, to sheep that are scattered? They become food for the beasts of the field. Scattered sheep are vulnerable. Have you ever noticed that? You've heard the old analogy, right? You take an ember out of a fire and set it off to the side. What's it do? It goes out, right? Scattered sheep are vulnerable to injury. Scattered sheep are vulnerable to predators. Have you ever noticed a sheep that's got scattered? Let's say somebody got, for whatever reason, whether it's the pastor's fault or the whoever's fault or whatever, but you ever notice that a sheep that just like doesn't fellowship with the body, doesn't go to church, doesn't, you know, do anything. And, you know, invariably when you have a conversation with one of those people, you know, they'll say, um, you know, I can just worship God in my car. Have you ever heard that? I can just worship God in my car, right? Yeah, I can just pray in my car. Well, God bless you. You're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. The sheep that are scattered are vulnerable. And so, uh, we just need to recognize that. It's sobering. It's sobering. I don't want to cause anyone to scatter. I don't want to cause anyone to scatter. My sheep wandered through all the, all the mountains. Now I'll read this. And on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Now this is interesting. The Lord makes, uh, gives us now a healthy perspective for shepherds. Notice now he says, what kind of sheep are they? My sheep. What kind of flock are we talking about? My flock. The Lord makes a very interesting transition here in verse 6. In verses 6 through 10, he's going to say the word my sheep or my flock eight times. Shepherds, who owns the sheep? God does. Sheep, who owns you? God does. Do I own you? No, it's important for me to know that, and it's important for you to know that. Right? He says, my sheep. So, to the shepherd, to our, and, and again, we're all both. I'm not talking about just me. We're all sheep and shepherds. Fair enough? We all find ourselves in that role. To the shepherding part of us, those sheep are entrusted to you, but they are not your possession. You are a steward of the shepherding of those sheep. That's the role to the shepherd. To the sheep, you think, man, wish I'd have been born in the house of a different shepherd. (laughs) 
right? God is your shepherd. God is your shepherd, right? Now, if I say God is your shepherd, that should bring some comfort. Fair enough? That should bring some comfort and some very healthy uh, perspective. You know, lots of people in this world have been injured by the kind of shepherds we're talking about. I, I won't, I'd be naive to think otherwise. And as we travel the world and as we, you know, engage in our community and as we try to reach out and try to find scattered sheep and trying to help mend broken sheep and help try to feed uh, sick or weak sheep, we're going to find sheep that have at some point been injured or damaged by some uh, unhealthy shepherd. You can set your clock by it. You're going to find those people. And you're going to know about it when they start talking. And I think the most encouraging thing to, to reorient to them is to remind them that they are God's sheep. They're God's sheep. And as we navigate as sheep, we know that God is our shepherd and he is the good shepherd described in John chapter 10. He's a very good shepherd. So verse 7, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. And this is God's rebuke of the, of the selfish shepherds. Hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more for I will deliver my flock from their mouths that they may no longer be food for them. And so the therefore is because of all this, God is against the shepherds. Notice to shepherds, we're not, again, we're not talking about making mistakes. We're talking about, we're talking about lifestyles of self-indulgence and abuse. And God will make things right. So to the sheep, God will make things right. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Isn't that great? If we've ever been injured, if we've ever been scattered, if we've ever been any of that, God seeks us out and God will be our shepherd. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among the scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and, dark, cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and in all the inhabited places of the country. And so we move here now a little bit uh, into Ezekiel speaking prophecy. Okay, and so he says, as a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among the scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from the places where they were scattered. So 
The application for us as New Testament believers is John chapter 10. Look over to John chapter 10. Starting in verse 11. This honestly is one of my favorite passages in, in all the Bible. Because what it really describes is the kind of shepherd that we have. And you can't read John verses, chapter 10, verses 11 through 15, and come away with any conclusion about Christianity as a religion, or it's a list of do's and don'ts, or anything like that. You can read this and only come away with the conclusion that Jesus is personal. He's very personal. He knows the, the thoughts of my heart. He knows what troubles me. He knows where I'm hungry, where I'm broken, where I'm weak. And he does all of that. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, who owns the sheep? God does. But a hireling who does not own the sheep sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is our good shepherd. And so whatever vulnerability we may have, he is the one that shepherds us and takes care of us. And so we take comfort in that. But as you read these verses uh, 12 and 13, this really has an application to the Jewish people in a prophetic sense. Okay, So he says, as a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day that he is among his scattered sheep, so I will seek my sheep and deliver them from the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. Now keep in mind, Ezekiel is speaking to a group of refugees in Babylon. Okay, He's speaking to a group of Jewish people that have been transported as prisoners from Jerusalem to Babylon. That's his audience now. And he says, I mean, imagine how relevant that would be to these people. In the short term, he says, as a shepherd seeks those guys out, I'm going to gather my sheep up from all the places where they were scattered, and I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to bring them and gather them from all the countries, bring them to their own land. I'm going to feed them on the mountains of Israel and the valleys and all the inhabited places in the country, and it's all going to be glorious. Okay, so there's really three fulfillments, if you will, to the Jewish people for this. Number one. After 70 years in captivity, what's going to happen to those, to those captives in Babylon or the remnant of them? King Cyrus is going to take over the nation of Babylon, and he's going to release those prisoners and say, hey, go back and resettle yourself as a Jewish people and occupy that land of Israel and that city of Jerusalem specifically. So there's going to be a near fulfillment of, of these verses in the regathering of, of the people there. However, he says, I will bring them back from the countries, plural. So there's a broader fulfillment, really, that this kind of points to. And this is how prophecy goes. So I'm just kind of I'm doing a twofold thing here. One, I want, to see, I want you to see how prophecy has layers to it. 
okay? Usually there's a near fulfillment and a, and a more distant, one or more distant fulfillments, okay? So the near fulfillment to these people that Ezekiel's prophesying to is, hey, after 70 years, you guys are going to go back. And we know that Jeremiah said, you're going to go back after 70 years. And that would be an, a great encouragement to those people, okay? And the point of prophecy is to encourage the people, right? Paul said in, in Thessalonians, therefore, comfort one another with these prophetic words, right? Comfort one another. Prophecy should be encouraging to us. shouldn't make us freak out. It should encourage us. So that was the near fulfillment. The more distant fulfillment, what happened in 1948? God brings the nation of Israel back together. We have a nation of Israel that ceased to exist from 70 AD until 1948. It was not in the books. It was not on the map. But now all of a sudden in 1948, we have the nation of Israel. That's miraculous. That's nothing short of miraculous. And God, what did God do? God began to bring Jewish people from, now we get a little more fulfillment, from countries, from various countries where He scattered those people. Okay? Now, is that a complete fulfillment? Probably not. And if you look at other Scriptures, there are other Scriptures that talk about God gathering the people. And you'll see oftentimes in those kind of Scriptures that He's going to gather those people people and there's going to be peace in the land we'll read it here at the end of this chapter there's going to be peace in the land and basically everything's going to be utopian almost like the garden of eden okay well let me ask you this if you've ever read ezra and nehemiah okay think of nehemiah now those jewish people come back after 70 years back to jerusalem did nehemiah find a land that kind of felt like the garden of eden all hunky-dory no enemies no conflict Nothing to deal with? No. Plenty of conflict. Plenty of opposition, right? So that's not fully fulfilled in Nehemiah's day. In 1948, up into the present, are the Jewish people just hanging out there in Jerusalem, kicking back and singing Kumbaya, praise the Lord that everything's so awesome? Reading the Psalms every day? No. They're looking over their shoulder wondering when they're going to get shot at. Right? So, Yet future, I believe there's a rapture of the church, followed by a seven-year period of tribulation, unlike any that's ever ex been experienced on planet Earth, followed by a millennial kingdom that'll go for a thousand years when Satan is bound. Imagine a world where Satan is bound, where Christians come back from heaven after we've been there for seven years during the tribulation. We come back with Jesus, right? set up a millennial kingdom for a thousand years where Jesus reigns and rules and Satan is bound? That sounds kind of like the Garden of Eden, right? And during that time, he's going to gather Jewish people from all over the world. He's going to complete that work that he started in the Babylonian captives. He's going to complete the work that he started in 1948, and he's going to gather the people there in Jerusalem where Jesus himself will set up his throne and reign for a thousand years. And then after the thousand-year period, Satan is released for a brief time, and then finally thrown into uh, the lake of fire, and we live to be with the Lord forever. That'll be a glorious time, right? But when you see these so I give you all that just to say, when you see these regathering scriptures, 
usually there's a fulfillment. Yep, they're going to come back from Babylon. Yep, there's a little more fulfillment. They're going to come back in 1948. But yep, there's a, a complete fulfillment that happens in the millennial kingdom. And so that's what he's speaking to here. Verse 14, he says, I'll feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There, shall be, there, there they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, I will take care, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. So just notice here, this is the example that God provides. Good pasture with good food, good strength and nutrition, a good fold, i.e. a a, a place to dwell, right? Uh, For us, it's the body of Christ. He says, I'll make them lie down. He gives rest from the challenges of this life. You know, life can be overwhelming at times, and we need to take rest in him. And he says, I will seek the lost, bind up the broken, strengthen the sick. Those are the things that these negligent shepherds didn't do, but God is going to do it. God is going to do it. And to us, as it relates to us in our lives today, as New Testament believers, as Jesus, the good shepherd, these are the things he does for us. Do we have to wait to heaven to get abundant life here on earth? Not in the least. I mean, is life here still frail? And am I still selfish? And, and do we still have struggle? And, and are we mortal and all that? Absolutely. But is there, a, is there a, if you will, is there a partial fulfillment on this life available to us? Yes, it's abundant life by the power of the Holy Spirit, living according to the Word, being overcomers, as it's described in Romans chapter 8, that we are overcomers of this frailty, this frailty that I call me, this frailty that I call this world. That's what we can experience here because Jesus is our good shepherd. Verse 17. As for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord. So now he's turning to the flock. Can you notice this now? He's been talking about shepherds. Now he's talking to the flock. And as for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I'll judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. Is it too little for you to have eaten up, some, uh, the, eaten up the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture and to have drunk the clear waters that you must foul the residue with your feet? And as for my flock, they eat what you have trampled with your feet and they drink what you have fouled with your feet. And so there's some, a little bit of exhortation here to the flock, Right? So we've talked about the irresponsible shepherds and, and some of those principles, but there's also some principles about the flock with one another, right? So if you're a part of a flock with other sheep and you drink all the good water and then trample mud in the water for the next guy, is that right? No. No. If you eat all the, if you, you know, think of, I uh, think of Abraham and Lot, right? Abraham said, hey, Lot, there's too much space for, for us and all of our people together. You pick a spot and I'll, take, and I'll take what's left. Lot chose what? The best for himself. As sheep, we have an opportunity at times to choose the best for ourselves or not. <coughs> and we just need to be aware of that. And God notices that. Therefore, verse 20, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep, 
because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns and scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will save my flock and they shall no longer be a prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep. Now, just to be a self, uh, uh, selfless, uh, uh, sensitive shepherd that I am, okay, just to relate to the people uh, these principles um, and to be sensitive to my kids, we now are the proud owners of three goats, okay? Now I understand this scripture better than I did two months ago, right? Because we have one goat that thinks she's the boss of the other goats, right? And so how does she manifest her authority? First of all, who gave her the authority? Nobody. She did, right? She did. She took authority. Don't take authority that's not given to you by a higher authority. (coughs) So this goat took authority on these other goats, right? How does she manifest that authority? Oh, bless your heart. Let me make sure you're well cared for because I'm a shepherd of you. I'm a goater of you, other goats. Is that how she does it? Is that how she manifests her authority in a self-sacrificing and serving and loving way? Is that how she does it? No. She gets her head down. She's got, she's got beautiful horns. That's right, right? And she rams them. It's pretty definitive when an animal rams another animal with its horns. And where does that animal ram the other? You know, you see these videos. These I'm going way too far off now, but I'm, I, I can't come back. The, the, you watch these National Geographic videos, and they go head to head, right? Well, not in my world, right? Sometimes they'll go head to head. But this bully goat, who may or may not have a long life expectancy on our property, she goes head to, where, where do you think she goes? Head to side. She goes to the flank, right where the pregnant babies are at in the other one, right? She goes head to flank. Is that cool? That's not cool. That is not cool. And so now, because I'm here for you, I bought some goats so I can teach with authority. (laughs) I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. Not in some edited video. I've seen it with my own eyes. A goat that head butts the belly of another goat. It's not cool, right? And, you know, you think about this. We all get weird about our animals a little bit, right? Originally, if you've ever gotten weird about an animal, a couple of you are honest. There's something in me that looks at that goat, and I think, I do not like you. Do you ever do that? It's an animal. We are really probably stretching it a little bit if we... I mean, you can like your dog, okay? I'm talking about a farm animal. You can like your dog. It's beyond the scope of this conversation if you can like your cat or not. But you can like your dog, okay? The goat should be just sort of emotionally neutral, right? It's a farm animal, meant for harvest at some point in some way. And yet this goat 
is headbutting the belly of another goat. And all of a sudden, I find myself feeling compassion for the victim goat and animosity toward the bully goat. Right? Don't be the bully goat. Okay? Don't be the bully goat. You ever met a bully goat in church? It's not pretty. I'm being serious now. Bully goats in church are not pretty. Now, when bully goats in church stand up here, that's a different issue. That's what we've been reading about. And God honestly has... God God will take care of that. But bully goats amongst one another, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. And God sees it. God sees it. Verse 23, I'll establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. This is a reference to the millennial kingdom that we talked about. If you read different commentators, they all have a different opinion. Is this literally David himself that's going to come back and reign as a prince uh, under the lordship of Jesus, or under under the authority of Jesus? Or is this my servant David a reference to, a messianic reference to Jesus himself? It probably doesn't matter. Uh, We'll just be there, and by the time that happens, we'll say, praise the Lord. Uh, your kingdom is amazing. Verse 25, he goes on then for the rest of this. I'll make a covenant of peace with them and cause wild beasts to cease from the land. And they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I'll make them and then places all around my hill a blessing. And I will cause showers to come down in their season. This is sort of that Garden of Eden description that we see here and elsewhere in Scripture. There shall be showers of blessing. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield her increase. They shall be safe in their land. Notice that the nation of Israel has not been safe in their land in any of their history, really, since the time of David and Solomon. They shall be safe in their land and they shall know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. And they shall no longer be a prey for the nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely and no one shall make them afraid. I'll raise up for them a garden of renown and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land, nor bear the shame of the Gentiles anymore. Thus they shall know that I, the Lord their God, am with them. And they, the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord God. So, the time is coming. This is a description of the millennium. That um, there's going to be a future time that's uh, a gathering of God's people. A gathering of the Jewish people in Israel specifically. There's going to be peace and safety. So that obviously refers to a time that's yet to happen. Uh, It didn't happen during Ezra and Nehemiah. It didn't happen during the time of Jesus. Remember all the Roman opposition during the days of Jesus when he was here on earth? It didn't happen in 1948 and, and beyond, but it will happen in the millennial kingdom when Jesus rules and reigns. And then this is a great final summary statement. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God, says the Lord God. God is our shepherd. God is our shepherd. So please notice this. We are all both shepherds and sheep if we're Christian. We are all both shepherds and sheep 
if we're Christians. If you have any influence in anyone's life, you're a shepherd. If you're surrendered to the authority of the good shepherd Jesus Christ, then you're a sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. Just think about these words. This is the example that is this is the example and the standard that's given to us in our shepherding role. But it's also the encouragement that comes to us as sheep. And honestly, I for one need both. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is good. He's very personal, and He's very good. He knows your brokenness. He knows your hunger. He knows your weakness. And He is very good and very personal. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you take such good care of us. And in so doing, you model for us how we should care for one another. Lord, only you can come up with something like that. And so we thank you that you do it. We ask that we would be faithful shepherds and faithful sheep as you would lead us. Please have your way with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome week.